A reading from the third chapter of the epistle to the Ephesian church, beginning with verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever Endeavor. Amen. The Word of God for us, the people of God. So last week I talked about that the love of Christ can tune us. That as we live in that love, we become reshaped. We become tuned like a piano. Remember I had Pam hit middle C, hit middle C. Remember that? I was supposed to tell you a pun so I could build off of that. So I'm going to tell you now, and y'all pretend like I told it last week. That sound good? You can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Get it? Tune a fish? That's pretty good, isn't it? You can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. But you know what we learned? You can tune a people, can't you? And we've seen that. You know for yourself the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Even if you grew up in the church, you know in yourself that you would be a different person if you did not know the risen Christ. Is that fair to say? Everybody agree with that? Yes or shake your head? Yes, anybody? Anybody bold enough to say yes, it's true? All right, that's good. And so then, for the last couple of weeks, I've asked you this annoying preacher question. I'm going to ask you again today. And I'm going to ask myself, are you still in love with Jesus? Are you still in love with Jesus? I am. I don't know how He's still in love with me, and that helps me be in love with Him. Are you still in love with Jesus? Are you sure? Now, we just sang this wonderful little hymn that we've relegated to children, Jesus Loves Me, right? We teach our children that. Did you see that really cool line in there where He says, saying, let them come to Me to the children? You're those children. No matter how old you are, when you come to Him, you come to Him because He called you. You come because somehow, through some person, through some event, whatever it might have been, for Elijah, it was a still small wind on a mountain. Remember that story? Something happened in your life or somebody happened, and Jesus got your attention and called you to Himself. And maybe you don't know Him. Maybe you're here for the first time ever. I don't see anybody that's here for the first time ever, but maybe... You've been coming to church your whole life and you don't really know if you know Him or not. 
Regardless, He called you. I've told y'all before that we have two dogs. They're not really new. They've been with us a year. Our lab that we had for 14 years named Moses died, and Moses was a perfect dog. Couldn't do anything wrong unless he did something wrong, and then we just ignored it because he was perfect, right? These new dogs are not perfect. (laughs) And I told you that one of them is sneaky and one of them is stupid. Remember that? And it's true. I'm not trying to be mean to the little dog. I kind of like her, but she's dumb. Well... (laughs) The one dog, if you call him, he'll come to you. He'll walk a straight line. His tail will be wagging. His name is Diesel. But Gracie gets so excited when she gets called that her body bends. You ever seen a dog do that? They go so excited when you say their name that their body bends. And you know, that dog walks in a circle to me. And it's like she's on a string and it's just getting tighter and tighter and eventually she's in front of you. It looks like she's walking in a little circle when she comes to you. She gets excited I hate to say master because now we talk about our pets being our friends. But you remember that? That's how we used to talk about pets. We were the master. They were the pet. Well, man, shouldn't we get excited to know that Jesus has called our name? You ever had a phone call from somebody that you really loved and you hadn't seen them in a while and you saw their name on your phone? Didn't that excite you? Are you in touch with how good that feels for somebody to call and check on? Well, Jesus called you today and wanted you here today. And I want you to know that. You could have done something else because the truth of the matter is church is becoming increasingly, increasingly, increasingly optional. I've been reading a little book about leadership in that kind of world because I'm hoping to lead you guys into a different way of being. And we talk all the time about growing into our mission of making disciples. And we talk about being sent from here. And usually the benediction is somehow about you being sent out to share the love of Christ with somebody who might not know it. That's what we're about. There's a mission statement in your bulletin that says our, our reason for existing. Adney United Methodist Church exists for the purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's the only reason we exist. Not just to come together and sing hymns and prayers, but everything we do is meant to equip us together to make disciples. Because it recognizes that we all go our separate ways when we leave here, but we're still one body. We're still the body of Christ wherever we are. And we are infected by this brilliant, brilliant virus called the love of Christ that takes our whole body over and reshapes us and causes us to be something that God can use to show other people that they're not alone in the world. But our world is changing. We have left Christendom. When I was a kid, people were expected to be at church. There was no travel ball on Sunday. If you had tried to have a travel ball team on Sunday for kids, people would have run you out of town. Am I right or am I missing something? No, no, no classes on, no dancing on, so none of that stuff. But now we're inundated with it. And the people that have it tell us we're bad parents if we don't take our kids to it, don't they? They're going to tell me I'm a bad parent. I wasn't going to let my kid go to the gymnastics meet on Sunday. It made me feel guilty. And you know what I did? I caved. And I haven't forgotten that since. That I gave my child the impression that something else was more important than worshiping Jesus. Parenting mistake. 
Is there anything in this world more important than Jesus? Anybody want to venture a guess? I don't think so. I think that the thing the world achingly needs is for the church to remember who it is. That it is the body of Christ on earth. A people infected by the love of God. For the purpose of being a big gigantic germ spreader. When Eli was little, I hated to see that joker have something. Because, you know, kids, they, they, ger- they germinate that thing and they'll have a virus and they give it to you and then they're better for a little bit and then when they get the virus again and then they give it to, back to you, right? Any of y'all with kids ever had the virus twice? Just raise your hand. Only me? I feel special. The second time you get it, you feel like it's going to kill you, don't you? The love of Christ takes root in us and it roots us in something different so that we can be fed and nurtured as Jackie told us. So we can grow and grow and grow and grow and become like Christ. And Paul, sitting in jail is the tradition of this text. Paul, imprisoned, about to be killed for Christ, about to be put to death, writes to this church and says, I don't want you to be discouraged because of what's ahead of you, because the world isn't like you. The world's not showing up to be one of you. They don't want to be one of you. I want you to be encouraged. And not lose hope because of what you see me suffering. And so he prays that prayer that I read to you. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. That He might grant that you would be strengthened with power. Did you notice that? Did he, did he say, I'm praying for you that you'll be weak and timid? No. He says, I'm praying that you will receive the power of God's Spirit in yourself to be God's people. And for what reason? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Does that mean that Jesus just comes down and lives in our heart like a little tiny person? It means that the whole person of Christ is in us and Our will, our intellect, our desires, and everything is being shaped by Jesus. We're being tuned as a people. Remember, you tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. But you can tune a people. And together, as we experience the love of Christ together, we become changed to become more like Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul is praying for us. That the power of God would move in us because the power of God is in us. The Spirit of God is in us. The Holy Spirit to set us on fire for Jesus. But the world is desperately trying to tame the church. By giving us other things to do and telling us that they're more important than worship. Because you know what happens if you take a Christian out of worship? One of the greatest theologians ever is attributed to Martin Luther. That's where I get it from. Could have not been, but Martin Luther changed the church. Remember that? You learned about that in history. Somebody told him they didn't need to be in worship, and all he did was go over to a fire and take a coal out of the fire. Have you ever done that? Taking a coal out of a campfire, what happens to it? It goes out. It goes out. Somebody asked me one time, David, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? I said, no, but why wouldn't you? 
How can you be on fire for Jesus if you don't worship God? How can you be on fire for Jesus if you don't worship Jesus? It's not possible. How can you know Jesus if you don't worship Him? You can't. You might know about Him. The world is trying to tame the church by offering us all these other things to do and tell us, oh, no, 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 don't be like those Jesus freaks that talk about Jesus all the time. The world doesn't need those. Ain't nobody got time for that. We need for you to be like us. But what the world really needs is for the church to be like Jesus. To love people recklessly. And Paul says that that's possible because Christ can dwell in our hearts through the power of God. And that will root us in love. You might remember in the children's sermon, Jackie was telling us about how the root draws things up into the plant. And I talked about the nutrients. Remember that? If you are rooted in Christ's love, what is the fruit you will produce? Will it be hate? Will it be discord? Will it be division? Will it be gossipery? Will it be all those horrible things that divide people? No, it won't. Of course, it'll be love, won't it? And a specific kind of love, the love of Christ. A selfless love that can change the world. And so Paul says to this church, don't lose hope because I am in chains. Don't lose hope because of what you see happening to me. Remember the power that is at work in you. It's God Almighty, the living God, the Holy Spirit present in you, changing you and making you a person that can show the love of God to the world and making us a group of people, an ecclesia, a church, a called out people. People called out of the world to be the light of the world, to be the body of Christ in the world. But all around us, the world tries to distract us from that. By telling us that the world doesn't have any place for that kind of spirituality. You want to know the two fastest growing groups of believers in the world? Those who don't believe? That's number one. And young people, people called millennials, right? People born after the two year 2000. Their fastest growing religious preference is none. Know what? Second, I'm spiritual but not religious. How did that happen? I have a theory that it happened because the church forgot that it was supposed to be rooted in love and grounded in love. And we thought we were supposed to tell people the right way to live instead of telling them the one who could help them live. I think. I think the church let people think we were optional. That worship doesn't matter. That being part of the body of Christ doesn't matter. That you can sit at home and have your faith. Because remember we taught people that faith is a private matter. If I heard that once when I was a kid, I heard it all the time. Don't talk about religion and don't talk about what else? Politics. Why in the world would the world teach Christians not to talk about religion? Because they don't want to know about Jesus. They want to tame the church. So they gave us tax-exempt status. 
and told us, you don't talk about politics in the church or we'll take your tax-exempt status. They tamed us. Anybody know who Lewis and Clark is? Anybody? Lewis and Clark, after the Louisiana Purchase, they were sent to explore. And they were supposed to go out and find where the Missouri River to hit the, the Colorado River and somehow get to the Pacific Ocean, but that didn't exist. They crossed the river. They got to the place where the spring begins, where the mighty Missouri River begins. It was a trickle out of a rock. They got to that place, and they walked around it, and all they saw was the Rocky Mountains and thought, that ain't supposed to be there. And the world was suddenly different than they expected. And they didn't know what to do because their means of travel was canoes. They had planned on going everywhere on a boat. But they had to learn something different and be something different. They had to learn how to live out their mission in a different way. That's not unlike the church today. Lewis and Clark's little core of discovery entered into a new world. For these people that Paul writes this prayer to, they're entering into a new world and suddenly it looks like the apostles aren't going to be there because they're being killed off. And Paul prays a prayer for them. And just like those Christians in that day, our world is changing. We live in Christendom no more. And all over the world, churches are not growing, they're dying. They're turning gray and white and fading away. With a few exceptions. And all around people are wondering, why is that happening? Why is that happening? Why is that happening? And I have a theory. It's because church became optional. And the church itself... Raise your hand and say, I am the church. I'm not talking about the building. The church itself agreed that it was optional. We decided that having new people love Jesus wasn't as important to us as all the other things we wanted in the world. And we decided that when the world changed, we wouldn't change with it. That we would hide ourselves away and not do things differently, but that if they want to come, they'll come. Or we'll do this and attract people. You ever heard that language in a church meeting? There is no attracting people now. People aren't just going to show up because their parents made them go to church. They're not just going to show up because society says you have to be in church. We are going to have to learn a new way. And it's going to begin with being rooted in the love of Christ. So rooted in the love of Christ that we want other people to know the love of Christ. So I have one other goofy question for you, church. Do you want other people to know the love of Christ? Be honest, do you? Good. I do too. How are we going to do that in this world that's so different? They didn't teach me how to do that in seminary. They taught me how to maintain a dying church, basically. How to do things the way we've always done them. You know that joke about we've never done it that way before? We're going to have to learn to do things differently. To reach the world in front of us, we're going to have to do what Lewis and Clark did. 
We're going to have to abandon the canoes and we're going to have to get out there in it on foot. And then when we get to the river, we can build new canoes. But for now, we got to be different. We have to be out in the lives of people who don't know Jesus and we have to do it intentionally. We can't keep waiting for them to show up. Not to preserve Adna, but so that people can come to know Jesus. It's the only reason we exist, so that somebody new can come to know Jesus. Think about the professions of faith we've had here that we've watched when people came up. I'm looking at Mike right now. Came here and was baptized and loves Christ. Gave himself to Christ in this place. I could get used to seeing that happen every Sunday, couldn't y'all? I could get used to all of a sudden we sit around and we say, hey, we're full, it's time for us to plan another church. So some new people can get to know Jesus. But the world has tamed us. We're going to have to figure out how to be different. This is a little book I've been reading here. This fellow says something that I think is important. I'd like for you to hear it. He says this, This is good news. That what I'm telling you about people are different and they're not just going to show up here. They're not going to say, gosh, you know, I guess I should be in church. That it's good news. This is what he says. This is a divine moment. This is an opportunity to express even more clearly what it means to follow and serve the God who is king of the entire world. The church at its best has always been a core of discovery. It has always been a small band of people willingly heading into uncharted territory with a mission worthy of our utmost dedication. Wow. Lewis and Clark, they didn't turn around and say, gosh, I guess we'll go tell the president that it doesn't exist. They were dedicated to their mission, so they pressed on in faith that it would be there. Are we dedicated to our mission enough to change who and how we are? How we do things, how we think about ourselves, as if we're waiting for people to come? Are we dedicated enough to the mission of Jesus Christ in the world to be uncomfortable? That's what it boils down to. See new people, different people, not waiting on them, but going to them. Just like the first church, we face an unprecedented level of uncomfortableness. Because before us is the opportunity to choose life or death. We can choose to go into the world and seek out people who need to know Jesus, or we can choose to shut the doors and wait for death to take us. I believe you when you say you love Christ because I see it in you. I believe you when you say you want other people to know Christ because I see you trying to do it. But I also know that I don't have any answers. I don't know what it looks like for the church today to be like Lewis and Clark were then. But if y'all are willing to press on and find out what it looks like, I'm willing to lead and go with you. But it's going to be hard. There's nothing easy about relearning how to talk to people about Jesus. 
For a long time, the church decided that that was the job of the pastor. It's time for us to unlearn that. It's our purpose together to bring glory to God by introducing new people to Jesus. And the good news is that the apostle has prayed that we will be rooted in the love of Christ just so that can happen. So that Christ can dwell in us and we can be strengthened for the work ahead. The work of making Jesus known. That's our job, folks. And anything that distracts us from it, it's time to turn the blind eye to. Every time somebody asks me, what's wrong with our world? All I can think to say is it doesn't know Jesus. Will you join with me in changing that? That's my hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.